Welcome to A Shot in the Arm podcast. We're here in Japan with the Global Listening Project. We've been organizing a roundtable to understand and share some initial learnings, some learnings about how uh, the world has coped coming out of COVID, but particularly what Japan has learned. And our guests today, we're at that roundtable and are here to, uh, to give us some more information. So first up, Professor Hitoshi Oshitani from Tohoku University. Hitoshi is also a member of the Global Listening Project's International Advisory Board. Professor, it's great to see you here. Thank you so much for welcoming us. We're also joined by Dr. Rachel Dawson, who is the Global Medical Affairs Lead for COVID uh, at Moderna. Rachel, welcome to A Shot in the Arm podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. And last but by no means least is our co-founder and lead of the Global Listening Project, Professor Heidi Larson. Hey, Heidi. Great to be here on our round-the-world tour. I know, right? Um, so, so we presented initial learnings from our what will be our societal preparedness index. What were the uh, top-line data we presented? Well, today with our roundtable here in Tokyo, we looked at the the seventy countries where we have done our surveys. And then we took a bit of a deeper dive in what's going on in Japan and in the region. We also looked at uh, G7 countries to get a different slice. Um, fascinating differences. Japan was really unique uh, in in the nature of the... Well, each country is unique, but this one had some particularly interesting twists and turns. What a lovely way of setting Hitoshi up. Um in the roundtable, Hitoshi, you spoke about uh, an emerging sense of what you called tolerance in society in Japan around COVID. And by tolerance, I think we understood the word complacency. Could you talk a bit about that and, and why that concerns you? Okay. So in Japan, the, our number of deaths per population uh, was relatively small compared to the other Western countries. But uh, the the number of deaths increased the the by wave, and uh, initially that we are very very sensitive to any deaths the in the first wave of the the, the pandemic, but uh, it's gradually the tolerance level they actually increased, and uh, in the, the most recent wave the in early this year in two thousand twenty three. Uh, we actually had more deaths, but the people are not that sensitive to the the increasing number of deaths, and uh, this is a uh, kind of uh, the the concern for us. The the when the next pandemic occurs, we may not be able to the, implement strong measures, and the uh, people they think that uh, we are done with uh, COVID, and uh, we are okay with COVID, and uh, then uh, the 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 strong measure may not be uh, implemented in the next pandemic. That's my concern. Could you tell us a bit about your background? Because obviously that um, anxiety that you have that people are uh, no longer going to be prepared or willing to listen is is very important. Um, you, you are at um, uh, Tohoku University. What's your specialty? What are you doing there? I'm a professor of the Department of Virology. But uh, 
they are doing the both epidemiology and biology uh, for the, the various infectious diseases, especially the respiratory, the viral respiratory infections. And I've been involved in uh, emerging diseases, including the pandemic, for more than 25 years. I used to work in the WHO Western Pacific Regional Office in Manila, where the SARS outbreak occurred. And I was also responsible for the, the response to the highly pathogenic avian influenza and the pandemic. The preparedness uh, was a major issue in the early 2000, uh, 2005, 6, and uh, the, there was a the growing concern the, the, about pan potential pandemic with uh, the high mortality impact. But uh, after 2009, actual pandemic in 2009, caused by H1N1 virus, mm -hmm. the, which was uh, the milder than expected. And uh, then the level of global concern actually decreased significantly. And then that we had the COVID, and which had a very the large mortality impact. So, and uh, the complacency is uh, the major enemy for us in terms of pandemic preparedness. Yeah, totally. And I, I wonder, Rachel, if I could come to you because overcoming that complacency must be a core part of your work. Um, but there's also something about your background that is very interesting. Um, Hitoshi referred to H1N1. Um, and in the roundtable, Hitoshi, you also spoke about the 1918 flu, which particularly attacked young people. Um, and Rachel, you are an, a specialist in adolescent health as a physician, yes? Yes, that's correct. So tell us a bit about that and, and then how that sort of raises your heckles, mm -hmm. as it were, for how we... Uh, address complacency going forward. Yeah, so I, as um, he alluded to, I think that um, it is a very big threat, the um, complacency that we see. Um, so we need to continue to remember that just because we are now in a place where we're going from a pandemic to an endemic, uh, that COVID is still a threat. And it is actually causing more hospitalization, severe disease and death than um, other respiratory viruses. And so although we are in this endemic state, um, we cannot slow down in um, encouraging prevention through vaccination. I wonder, Heidi, is this sense of complacency tolerance something that we're seeing around the world? Um, is this a surprise to you to hear this? Um, not so much of a surprise in the sense that, you know, we see with influenza, for instance, that you know, there's still a lot of people who die from just the flu um, every year, and it's really hard to get people motivated because they see enough people living through it that they don't want to take the risk. With COVID, um, as Rachel mentioned, it's still a far more dangerous um, virus, and we still it's still evolving. I mean, all these viruses constantly change, which is why we need new vaccines <laughs> periodically, but um, it is a big issue, uh, complacency. And I think also with another aspect of the complacency is is really pandemic fatigue. People are tired. They It's almost like um, we've had enough. Um, this couldn't be that bad. We've lived through this. Um, but also, to be fair, um, what the vaccines 
really do is keep people out of the hospital, prevent severe disease. Um, and for some particularly younger people, they don't feel like they're the ones really at risk, which is quite different, as Toshi was saying, was, um, you know, each virus targets differently. Um, and that creates sometimes different parts of the population more complacent than others. But globally, the biggest challenge we've had with COVID is the younger ages, 18 to 34, even even younger adolescents, who don't feel like it was their problem, that they felt they paid the price for older people's problems. And that's a challenge because actually uh, it was everyone's problem. And we need much more a sense of societal cohesion. And that's one of the wonders in Japan is this strong sense of, and and maybe um, Professor Hitoshi can speak more to that, this sense of social responsibility as a word, duty even. Yeah, because yeah, you had mentioned when we were looking at the attitudes, um, particularly of elders, that there was uh, really extensive vaccination amongst uh, the the older population in Japan, and you referred to this idea of um, harmony and sort of responsibility to each other. The, the vaccine coverage, the COVID nineteen vaccine coverage, is quite high in Japan, and not only in elderly but also in young people, and uh, the many young people were vaccinated because uh, they don't want the they infect others, and uh, this kind of the prosocial the the behavior is uh, the one of the 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 characteristic of our culture, and the people the want do not want to infect others, and uh, that's uh, the the main reason why the even young people were vaccinated, and uh, the this may be difficult the, to do in other countries, but the, the, that kind of, uh, and also the behavior change the, was uh, the obvious uh, during early time of the pandemic. The people change the behavior. They don't go for the drinking, for example. And uh, if the, the government declared the state of emergency type of the, the declaration, and the people changed the behavior, that we did not implement any the strong the 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 measure with the law enforcement power, but uh, it's just a recommendation. But uh, the people they followed the the such recommendation. Yeah. Rachel, I wonder if I could turn to you. And I mean, you're you've seen um, expertise experience in the U.S. Um, you're originally from Brazil, um, and you are here for a little bit of time. A, sort of a, uh, a few months or so to support uh, the Moderna team here. And I, I just wonder what, uh, how you react to, to what Hitoshi has said, because my gut feeling is, oh my gosh, I wish that we had had that sense, say in California or say in Ringwood, Hampshire, United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. No, yes, I agree. Um, across the globe, we see very different 
um, sentiments uh, towards vaccination and who are we listening to? Um, who are we asking questions uh, to about whether I should get a vaccine or not? So, you know, in my global role, I've been able to travel through different to different countries. And in particular, I recall in uh, a COVID flu campaign that was happening in a South American country, and they feel like they really trust their physicians to get in health information. And they decided not to go to their physician for the COVID flu campaign because they did not want one of the vaccines, but they knew they wanted the other one, but their doctor would ask them to get both. So then in the end, they are like, well, I'm just not going to go to the doctor at all because when they tell me I need both, I'm going to have to say yes. Um, versus, let's say, in the United States where I live, where, you know, you come to the doctor and you tell them what you want, right? I want this vaccine or I don't want the vaccine. And you can feel very confident um, about asking those questions and being forthcoming about what you want or what you do not want in your healthcare. So it's just uh, very interesting to see here in the Japan how, you know, there's this social responsibility um, to be vaccinated so you can protect others. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Heidi, I... I really wonder what your sense of this is. I mean, you know, again, I keep thinking, gosh, if only we had this kind of cohesion more more globally. But I, but I guess, and this comes to the heart of us being in Japan, to what extent do you think that there are lessons that we are learning here that can be applied in, in other countries, in other settings? Or do you think that the experience in Japan is, is pretty unique? Well, I think what we're what we're seeing is the power of culture, which we talked about earlier, um, and that we should pay more attention to that. I mean, I, I've been thinking not not only of the Japan specific um, issues, which you know are obviously where they're great ones. We want to amplify them, um, but also the kind of things that really matter. Uh, for instance, even though culture, the culture has been pro-social, it's interesting. I mean, I, I remember learning well, several years ago that people were wearing masks, um, not in a flu or COVID time, because they didn't want to spread their their cough or their cold to other people. And it was very much to protect others, um, which... Uh, actually, in our global research, we do see that with vaccines, when you ask someone, would you take this to protect yourself, um, and then ask them, would you take this to protect, also to protect others, the numbers are always higher globally. In some countries, less different than others, but I think there's a particularly strong sentiment here. It's not true for things like HPV vaccine <laughs> yeah. and certain other vaccines, but that's because that's more of a personal vaccine. It's not something that, it's not like a respiratory virus. So I think that also speaks to other things. Uh, but I do think the lesson of paying attention and appreciating the cultural differences um, in different settings is a big learning from COVID, even within countries that have diverse populations, um, the importance of of paying attention to cultural differences, where people did pay attention to those differences, it made a big difference in terms of the success of the program. Hitoshi, as you 
reflect on the uh, roundtable that we've had and the the um, initial learnings that we're seeing about uh, the societal preparedness right across the board. Um, what do you think are the the what's the key advice you would give us? What areas should we be looking at as we build a sort of more comprehensive approach to uh, crisis preparedness, not just pandemics. The the kind of whole of society approach is necessary, and uh, the all crisis, including the pandemic, there is no one size fits all type of uh, the solution, and uh, there is also the, the vaccine the the contribute to the, the reduction of the mortality uh, for the COVID-19, but uh, the vaccine uh, cannot solve all the problems. Yeah. And uh, we also, we need to have uh, multiple layer of interventions, the, not only for the pandemic, but also natural disaster and other things. And uh, so the, that's uh, the, the, the public health infrastructure, clinical infrastructures are also necessary to be prepared for the next crisis. And uh, so the, there might be the no vaccine for the next pandemic. And uh, so we, we need to consider different scenario. And uh, natural disaster and the pandemic, they occur at the same time. And uh, so the worst case scenario should be considered. And uh, so the, the, we need to have a multiple layer of interventions to be prepared for the next crisis. And meanwhile, of course, COVID has not gone away. And um, I mean, Rachel, what should we be doing going forward? Because uh, we're in this endemic phase now. We've gone out of the sort of early crisis uh, to this issue of, of defeating complacency. What should be our strategies? Mm -hmm. I think that we need to continue to emphasize the burden of disease and remind people that there are still deaths going on uh, today, as um, we've heard many times, and that COVID is still causing more disease um, than most respiratory viruses that we see out there. Um, so we need to continue to discuss and talk about the burden and um, how important that is. And um, also educating on uh, vaccination and prevention um, and answer questions and doubts that individuals might have around the vaccine. Um, talk about what are the reasons why they may doubt or regret or not want to receive a vaccine. I think those are all important points we need to consider. Well, I guess we're we're sort of coming up to the top of the hour. And, and I mean, Heidi, we will uh, have the, the learnings of this Social Preparedness Index on our website, which, of course, is www.global slash no hyphen listening.org. It'll be in the show notes. But um, what happens next for us here uh, in our collaboration with Japan? What will we do next? Well, while we do the global analysis and, and to, to inform our social preparedness index, um, we're going to be doing what, what we're calling a deeper dive, a more... Um, focused look at the Tokyo greater metropolitan area because we want to look at how in a very localized way how there are differences. We'll be doing the same in the New York City greater metropolitan area because cities are crucial particularly for infectious disease spread 
Um, as we've talked about earlier, things went better in some of the rural areas. One, there's still stronger sense of community and um, not to neglect rural areas at all, but there are different dynamics in cities that we want to understand. Um, so we'll be back. <laughs> um, and actually, today's discussions with with the very um, uh, steamed and, and helpful comments from the group, and we had someone from technology side, from, from the um, infectious diseases. We also had from hearing from different age groups and industry as well as um, as research, uh, the kinds of questions that will be important to ask, and also how that plays out across ages, across different parts, local government, that came up as a big issue. But from that, too, we're going to understand much more specific um, the nature of why people made the decisions they did. Um, and and how that might be important also for different kinds of crisis. Um, so really excited about doing that. And we're doing this very much hand in hand with our local Japanese partners. We couldn't do it without that. And that will inform then different types of preparedness efforts and, and uh, engagement communications uh, and very excited about that. So as a, a final question around Robin, but but Hitoshi, for you first, what's it been like to host a bunch of foreigners coming in and sharing experiences about what they, what we have learned perhaps um, initially around the... the it's, it's important to learn lessons from uh, other countries. And uh, it's, uh, the, the, we have uh, the, the, our culture uh, which has uh, some positive aspect, but uh, also the negative aspect. And uh, we have a very strong peer pressure, and uh, which may create uh, some discrimination of uh, the infected people and so on. So the, the different cultures or the different countries the, the responded to the, any crisis differently. And uh, there are some positive and negative aspects for all the responses and the, the, it's the important to have. That's the that's the world over, though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. um, you know, sort of pointing to the otherness of people who potentially are infected. But Rachel, so you've just arrived basically in Japan, and you're yes. going to be here. And I was going to ask you, okay, what's been the the favorite thing that you've seen or heard so far? But I guess <laughs> that might be a bit premature. But anything stand out to you? Yes, actually, one of um, my Japanese colleagues took me to um, a lunch at a very traditional um, Japanese restaurant where we walk in and take our shoes off and sit at a, a sort of communal table. And that was a really neat experience. And, you know, me trying to eat with chopsticks, which is still a challenge, but I am getting better at and attempting to do that. So, so far, it's been it's great. Well, next time we're on a podcast together, we will just see how your chopstick skills are. Yes. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can do a live yeah. experience. Heidi, you've been to Japan a fair amount. Um, sure. But this time round, anything really stood out to you? Oh, there's always so many things here. Um, I, I guess I've just been so, um, it's been so interesting because I have been coming back and forth for many years, particularly around the HPV vaccine experience. 
And it's been it's been striking to me how different the COVID experience was. But what I see um, in my own experience is how how much trust matters. Um, and I feel like um, I have such friends here <laughs> in ways that um, I guess instead of seeing something new so much, it renewed my sense that um, when people come together and how trust builds and the importance of keeping and renewing and constantly renewing, because that's really important. Trust is not a one-time and the thing I think with COVID and the different conversations I've had is, we need to um, we need to build on this because actually um, Japan did do really well. Um, and how can we build on that and keep that spirit up? Because that pro-social asset that you have, um, as you said, it may not just be another pandemic. It may be a pandemic and a tsunami at the same time, and we need each other. And I feel like there's a lot. I it gave me a lot of hope that what's going on, and and I guess that was the most important thing to me. Oh dear, I feel really rather frivolous now when <laughs> when um, I say one of the highlights for me is actually being in this studio because um, I discovered that my favorite Japanese city pop band. The, the production crew have never heard of. Uh, Kirinji uh, actually recorded an album here some years back. So this has been a real fandom moment for me. So anyway, well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much to our guests, to Hiroshi, uh, Hitoshi, to uh, Rachel, and of course to Heidi. Thank you to our local production team. Thanks to our director and producer back in California, Eric Espera from Newsdoc Media. The Shot in the Arm podcast is a project of the Global Listening Project. Um, and it just remains for me to wish you a great week and a safe week, everyone. Thanks very much.